0: But you know, the thing is that it's such a complex condition that even clinicians themselves also don't have it so easy uh, in terms of a diagnosis Mm -hmm. because um, you probably have come across in your readings that there are many comorbidities, right, or coexisting conditions for ADHD.
1: Yeah.
0: So because of that, sometimes it's hard to know which is the primary or the secondary condition, right? Is it ADHD or is it anxiety, right, or depression?
1: Yeah, Yeah. so I, I even watched like some video where there was this psychologist psychologists that was talking about comorbidities of uh, anxiety and ADHD. So when people with acute anxiety, for example, if their symptoms go down because the stresses from their life are removed, right, then their symptoms of ADHD present more because they are no longer driven by the fear to keep doing things perfectly and urgently. So they end up seeming much more absent-minded than they otherwise would have. Yeah, their ability to plan and execute is no longer driven by like the uh, fight or flight, right? Yeah, so it's now kind of subject to the, the whims of their brain.
0: But on, <clears throat> on the other mm. hand, uh, one yeah. of my daughters, uh, we thought she had ADHD, just because again, you know, we've seen the, it happening in the rest of our family. The mm. traits are very similar. But after the thorough testing, she was actually found not to have ADHD, but anxiety. Mm, and mm. Um, something called executive dysfunction. I don't know whether they have come across that term,
2: mm. but
0: um, most ADHDers would struggle with executive dysfunction, yep. but not just people with ADHD, but also people with dyslexia, with ASD, and, and even a lot of kids, right? And teens and young adults. So that's something quite common. And it does look a bit like ADHD as well. Mm. So yeah. that's where all the confusion is, right?
1: Yeah, I even read about how. I mean, this psychiatrist's opinion on how uh, ADHD is really marked and indicated by that executive dysfunction. The reason You're why Russell so baffly is it? Uh no 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 oh. I don't I, I it's it's some it's some guy on YouTube called Healthy Gamer GG.
0: Oh yes, yeah, I know the doctor, the Indian guy, right? Yeah, I, the, I listened to one of his. He's got some booklets too, and, and all yeah.
1: that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so he articulates it very clearly, and I'm I'm sure he's seen it you know in in dozens of his patients and things like that but like yeah basically the inability or so apparent inability to pay attention or the presentation of being hyperactive is just kind of this mismatch between uh your people's ability to plan and uh to want to do certain things in social certain contexts right and right. that's why they they stick out like that's basically it. and that's the same with a lot of the people you described early, earlier with, a similar executive dysfunction. Yeah, we are not neurologists. <laughs> Neither of us are neurologists, but uh, I'm pretty sure you know a lot of people who find out they have adult uh, ADHD. They read a lot. Alright, guys, welcome back to another episode of But Then How podcast. Uh, Today's episode is uh, kind of special. Um, Today we have here Moon Lake Lee, who is founder and executive director of uh, Unlocking ADHD, uh, which is a registered charity and social service agency under the National Council of Social Services. Hey, welcome Moon Lake.
0: Thank you. Nice to be here. Yeah. So
1: Unlocking ADHD, you know, has in the media quite a lot recently you know you all have put out a lot of videos uh, you've done a lot of webinars and interviews and things like that right and i understand that you found out that you were adhd fairly late in your life so like uh, what drove you to want to start this agency
0: um, i think there are three words that would really sum up why i started unlocking adhd the first word is hope the second word is gap and the third word is two words actually is uh, equalize excess okay the first one about hope uh, my daughter was diagnosed with ADHD when she was 15 and she was feeling out of school at that point in her life and um, if you had asked her what she wanted to be she couldn't tell you but less than three years after her diagnosis you know she started studying dentistry in the UK uh, something that would be quite unbelievable if you had told us three years prior and the big deal about that it's not that she's in dental school, but the fact that we actually opened up the pathway for her. Mm-hmm. And I believe that she's not unique. I believe that many other kids like her may be lost if it wasn't for our diagnosis and you know management of the condition. So we want mm-hmm. to open up potential for people like them. That's the first part, the hope. The second part, we know we talked about a gap. There's a gap in information and resources in Singapore about ADHD. So um, especially when it comes to localized resources, stories, and also just who do you see, where do you go to get a diagnosis and, and to manage your condition? Uh, most of the time I have to depend on American sources. And I mm. wanted to see something here that's available for people in Singapore. And the third word I mentioned about equalizing access. And that's because um, in Singapore, just because of the lack of awareness and the lack of resources, um, sometimes you know if you do have the resources, the financial resources, you could access, let's say, the, the best specialist. But mm. even then, there's a lack of scalability. Right. Specialists also have um, their schedules full up. So even if you had the money, you wouldn't know who to go and, and they may not be able to see you. Secondly, people who don't have the resources have to have a long waiting list at the restructured hospitals. And sometimes it's like 11 months at one time for adults. And I heard it's about two years for children.
1: Two, some two things years?
0: can't wait that long. Yeah. yeah, some things can't wait that long. And how, how do you address this issue? It's not going to change overnight. So one way of equalizing access is really to see how we can share some of the knowledge that those of us who have benefited from it, you know, that we can make it more bite-sized, more accessible, whether it's free or low cost, so that more people can actually come up with the tools to manage their life better. Hmm.
1: When I was in school, you know, there was basically no awareness of ADHD, or at least, you know, maybe I had classmates who had ADHD and maybe they did get some sort of intervention. And there's an estimate of like something like anything from like three to 5% of all children might have ADHD. And in, uh, you know, public schools, primary schools, it tends to present more because uh, it's an environment where kids kind of have to sit down and kind of listen in class. Right. So, I I want to do you know if what kind of resources or help they are currently getting, and uh, is unlocking ADHD. Um, you know, focusing more on um, just in, improving uh, that catch rate, or also for people who have discovered that they have ADHD later in life.
0: Okay. Uh, well, first of all, the numbers are about five percent in mm. Singapore. Again, it's estimated. That's a global uh. estimate because, interestingly enough, we don't have official figures here.
2: Okay? Uh.
0: But it's about 5%. We suspect higher. Um, and uh, in terms of what's available in the schools, actually MOE um, has been doing quite a lot of work, Ministry of Education. So we do have trained airline educators. I think they call special education coordinators now that do work with um, the students. The only issue is that there are not enough of them. So it's the counsellors mm. and, and the special education needs officers, but not enough of them because, again, the, the demand is so high. And there are multiple conditions that they work with, from dyslexic children to those with ASD and social skills issues, those with math issues, writing issues, and also ADHD. So no one can be really specialised. So I think part of the solution going forward is really to have a what we call a kampong mentality, a village mentality. That we really have to have parents stepping in and you know having parent training so that they create a more conducive environment at home. And then in the schools to equip the teachers, as well as those who are also working with special education needs students, to understand, to flag, to be able to look at the children and not look at their behavior and just label them in a certain way, but Mm -hmm. understand why are they behaving a certain way and look at their strengths. So it's really like a whole village, as I mentioned, it's parents, it's teachers, and also working with the professionals so that we have correct information, right? Reliable Mm -hmm Mm, evidence-based information
1: yeah yeah the public education could be a lot better i don't imagine many teachers do have their awareness and you know and somehow being in the stressful environment of teaching like 30 plus children you may not be like alert enough to kind of uh, spot these problems and flag them out and then like i don't know do all the paperwork that you have to do and then just to you know get your students some help right and it's it's challenging and uh, definitely i don't want the teachers to be shouldering all of that burden yeah but but it's great that you mentioned that kampong spirit (laughs) i know we use that quite a lot in singapore but it's kind it's really kind of this like interesting commonality and bridge between people with adhd is the you know five percent of population that's not few right in a school of 400 in a school of 400 that's 20
0: students Yeah, the interesting Mm. thing, right, if you look at the data, is that ADHD is about 5%. Mm. But if you look at something like ASD, Mm. Autism Spectrum Disorder, it's actually about 1%. Right. But a lot more is known about ASD, and there's a lot more established support systems. And dyslexia I read somewhere is about 3.5%, also Mm. very established in terms of support systems. So think about it, right? With that 5% it's more prevalent, there really isn't Mm. that much support, and it also impacts beyond the individual with ADHD. It impacts the, the fellow students, the teachers, the parents, siblings, and so on. So the impact is greater than just the number alone.
1: Yeah, you're right, because if someone has ADHD, they okay, I mean they appear inattentive or they could appear hyperactive. That, that's quite commonly known. But there are certain things like impulsivity, uh, quickness to anger. And quick to change the topic of a conversation or put in a lot of like unnecessary, seemingly unnecessary detail yep. and things like that, right? And, and and so, you know, if you're a teacher, your friend or your parent, you'd be like, yeah, why are you telling me this? <laughs> it's You it must be so odd.
0: And I think the difficulty, the difficulty is that all these sound so minor, right?
1: Yeah. But it adds up, right? It kind of adds up and you kind of get really annoyed with this person.
0: Yeah, so so that's the thing, and and I think that's why partly no one seems to take it seriously, because it doesn't seem as chronic or as acute, rather acute as life and death, right? As mm. some of the other conditions, that's why it's less urgent. Mm. But uh, what we are observing, you know, in our community, and you know, we were talking about how do we define what the problem statement is, right, for the community, is that many ADHDs um, struggle with symptoms, causing underperformance in work and in life and also strained relationships leading to lost potential. That's Mm. the biggie, right? That's the biggie. Because we're in a very small um, society, right? A small size population where every person counts. And if you have people who are not able to um, meet the potential that they actually have, that's not just a loss to them and their immediate family, but also to our own society. And ADHD actually is one of the most treatable conditions. So that's why we're really trying to address this, you know, and um, if you can look behind me at the Zoom uh, logo, right, on the backdrop, (laughs) you know, for unlocking ADHD is really to empower ADHDers and their families to live life to the fullest. Mm. And how are we going to do that? We're going to do it through the uh, four A's, the populace, awareness, accessibility, achievement, and advocacy. Mm. And that's how we try to unlock the potential.
1: Mm. Of those four is which would you say that uh, Unlocking ADHD, uh, you know, is facing the greatest challenge or has like potential to improve yet?
0: Well, you know, we're only just about a year plus into mm. our existence. So I would think that everything's a challenge because everything is new. <laughs> but I would say that at the base that we really still have a long ways to go, but I think we've been making some improvements is really the uh, awareness part because, Without awareness as the foundation, you, you really can't build on the other aspects of it. Mm. And um, But we also know that awareness alone is not sufficient. Because I use the analogy of the baby. The baby is sleeping peacefully, more or less. And we've come and we started shaking it. And the baby wakes up. And the first thing it does is it yells. It wants a diaper change. It wants milk. And we don't have anything ready. That means the services part. Mm. The excess part, Right. So we can't just do the awareness without also making sure that we're part two available. So I think probably if you ask me, where's my biggest challenge? It's actually part two. Mm. It is actually to um provide those services, right? And that requires uh developing products, services, mm. the curriculum, really having those hands and feet, the scale, the the capability development, which is you know the stage we're in right now. We're moving from a ground up uh you know, volunteer-led organization. To now mm-hmm. to a registered charity, that is a social service agency. That means we provide a social service. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's where the challenge is, but it's a very much needed gap to be filled. So that's why we're doing this.
1: Yeah, much in the way that um maybe like chronic disease or palliative care, you know, does require. Uh, some sort of social support and some sort of organization to you know, direct that social support. Uh, it kind of makes sense that people who are born with like uh, executive dysfunction, and it's a, a part of their bodies that they can't really change, which is their brain, really need that kind of support structure and not just uh, be told to go to psychologists or psychiatrists. Uh, and worse, if you're someone with not a lot of financial resources, right? you're like, Nah, then what's the point? I'm just going to try and do things on my own. I have to try to survive. I think that's really difficult for people who are alone or don't have a lot of money.
0: Yeah, some things we're trying to do to address that. The first Mm. thing is that most of our resources at the moment are free. Mm. You know, we might have to eventually start charging a little bit for that just for sustainability purposes. But most of the things are free. Secondly, you know, Dr. Edward Hallowell, who's one of the gurus in this field, he's a psychiatrist himself an adhd and he wrote the book ADHD 2.0. He was on Unlocking ADHD's webinar in October and he said the biggest takeaway for anyone, right, that wants to know about ADHD or who thinks of ADHD is don't worry alone. So what does that mean? Basically, find a community. Find that community so you're not alone. And it's through that community that you learn that, you know, others are, have been on this road before you. You can learn what worked for them, you know, and then, That shortcuts your learning. But it also helps with accountability on the peer-to-peer level, peer learning, peer accountability. But I think that we still have a place and we do need to have professionals to work with us because the diagnosis is done by a professional. Medication can only be prescribed by a professional. And in many cases, because we're dealing with a lot of emotions and mental health issues, therapy also is needed. So really it's uh, what they call the multiple tools approach from medication Mm -hmm. to therapy to coaching. Lifestyle changes, peer support. That's what we're advocating. And, and to yeah. try to um, make things more accessible and affordable. You know, besides our webinars, where we always have some experts on and lived experience, so that people can go back and refer to these and our know, schools. We've also, as I mentioned earlier, we are launching the Restart Adult ADHD Starter Kit, almost mm-hmm. like a roadmap for adults who have either just been diagnosed or who suspect they of ADHD. Uh, we've just launched things like group coaching Right. to make coaching more accessible for those who cannot afford one-on-one fees, right? Hmm. Yeah.
1: What is the outreach strategy that Unlocking ADHD is doing right now? Because... I read this kind of like funny comment on the internet where they said something like seeking help for ADHD is like someone looked at all the symptoms of ADHD and then they purposely designed an obstacle course to getting help (laughs) because there's a lot of, um, you know, research involved and, you know, from the awareness and the planning and then like getting an appointment and then like showing up for the appointment and things like that, right? And so, and I I imagine, uh, you know, there are a lot of people they need the prompts. And the awareness of that community like unlocking ADHD even exists. There. So so like how are you reaching out? Are you using like ads or are you working together with other agencies to get visibility?
0: Uh, we're still very new in this. So yes. I guess the uh, first thing is social media. And so we're always welcome volunteers who are good in social media to help us with that. Secondly is word of mouth. I don't think we appreciate that enough. Because I think um, that really goes far, especially Mm. for our own networks. We have done a couple of media interviews. There was an interview that we did with CNA Insider on women with ADHD back in November 2021, when we first started. Mm. And the last time I checked on YouTube, I think there were like 192,000 views Mm. of that video. And I think that just shows you the impact of media. It can be a force for good. Because um, as a result of that interview, many people actually have gone forward for a diagnosis and wow. others have come forward to a support group mm. or to volunteer with us. So that really is changing lives. Mm. And so I really hope that we can do more media outreach because it can take our voice further than we can ourselves. And uh, more recently, I was very um, grateful that I was nominated and I was a finalist for a point of the year.
1: Yes, yes, I remember that, yeah.
0: And, and uh, that was important because... Again, previously, most of our dissemination of information was within the ADC community. Yep, yep, But with the Singaporean of the Year nomination, I had a feature in The Straits Times, mm. which is our national map newspaper, and it was on the internet too. Mm. So that really extended the knowledge or awareness of, that we exist to right. way beyond the ADC community. And that also brought more people to our support group, which is very important.
1: Do you think that the stigma of... Being labeled as someone different, like, okay, you have ADHD, it kind of stops people from stepping up and be, being very visible in the same way that you have, uh, like, at least within their own community. Because I imagine that uh, it's not easy to spread the word about ADHD because you, gotta, you have to kind of be public. And so I imagine a lot of this um, information is probably transmitted through, you know, internet pages or, or like word of mouth. And even at word of mouth is so you need to have someone that you really, really trust to tell you all these things, right?
0: I think it can be a challenge, yes, because there's a perceived stigma. Yeah. But sometimes, though, we have to really question whether there really is a stigma or not. It could be us and not other people. Hmm. You know, we did a survey last year in the ADHD community. And one of the questions we asked people were, if you think you have the symptoms of ADHD, why are you not diagnosed yet? And we asked people why they, they didn't have a diagnosis. Mm. The biggest reason actually was because they didn't know where to go, which is actually a very low-hanging fruit if you think about it, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Cost was the second one. But one of the lower ones, maybe about, I think, 10 to or 15%, was actually stigma. So it wasn't as big an issue as people thought it would be. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the things that we always say is, yes, there may be a certain fear that you might lose your job or people perceive you differently, right? But actually, sometimes having a label or a diagnosis actually is more of a door opener than a door closer. Mm. Because when you have a diagnosis like my daughter did, you can actually understand more about the condition by reading up about it, using that to search for a community of support, using that to access, let's say, getting medication. So I think that we, even though there's a certain fear of the unknown about stigmatizing oneself, but by using that as the barrier to getting help, it, there may be more drawbacks about that than actually the the, the benefits of you know, hiding. So I would encourage a uh, very cautious kind of sharing about hmm. it rather than you know standing on the rooftop and shouting. That doesn't help as well. <laughs> uh, you really have to know the background of the person you're speaking with. And so I think the analogy that we use sometimes is it's just like dating. Mm. If you were going on your first or second date with someone new, you don't have to share all the skeletons in your closet yet. You know, you want to give yourself a fair chance for them to get to know you and like you. And then if you do indeed progress, you know, like a deeper level, then yes, maybe naturally sort of share a bit more, but not right at the start. So same thing with the employment relationship. You don't know what is the... um, experience of the person or the impression that they have of adhd so why cut your nose off right right Mm -hmm. at the beginning let them get to know you and then when they get to know you in fact dr hallowell said don't talk about adhd talk about your strengths you know these are your strengths these are the areas that maybe you need a little bit more help okay but you don't necessarily have to bring that name that label in until much later
1: yeah. So what are the strengths of people with ADHD, uh, like their friends that you've observed and like uh, uh, that you've observed in yourself and your daughter?
0: Well, first of all, we're a very diverse group. So, you know, <laughs> one person is going to be quite completely different from the other. Like I said, my daughter and I are quite opposites.
2: Yeah.
0: Um. She's primarily inattentive. So she's the one that likes to stay in bed and you not know, flip through a phone, whatever. It takes a lot to get her out. And she looks at me, she says, mom, I look at you and I get tired because I'm always sipping here and there, right? I'm talking too fast and all, all that kind of stuff. So one of the strengths for myself, I think it would be more of I'm energetic
2: hmm.
0: so I can get a lot of things done, probably way more than most people. The other strength I think for many ADHDs is their sense of creativity. And hmm. it may not necessarily be just artistic creativity, but creativity and problem solving because of the way they look at things. Now, we talked about being in a VUCA world, volatile, yeah. uncertain, complex. I'm trying to remember all the other words
1: ambiguous, ambiguous, is a new
0: one. H, yeah, is it hyper connected or something? But you know, who better to navigate a VUCA world than an ADHD? Because most mm. of us, if you look at our CVs, right, are all over the place, different industries, different experience, because we're so curious and we can actually tie all these different things together. So, there's a lot of agility mm. as well. So, that's a strength. Another strength, actually. Believe it or not, actually is a certain stubbornness. You know, again, we're talking about the paradox, right? Stubbornness. We talk about the paradox. Yeah. The stubbornness yeah. could be persistence too. Because many of us have failed so many times. If we can find a way to look through that failure, right, it's incredible grit and resilience. Think about it. Because we've been through it unlike somebody who's always had a smooth sailing line. Um, the other thing I found that's very common for many ADHDs mm. is a, a very strong sense of mission or belief some people say there are a whole bunch of bleeding hearts right into social justice right why the heck do mm. I want to start a social impact mm-hmm. organisation right when I went to the bank to open the account mm. the lady asked me you're not making any money ah. then what for you and do do <laughs> you know most people want to open a business <laughs> or to make money mm. you know how come uh, you open uh, you know you're going to not make money already you know but it's because we, we want to do something that changes the world right you know we connect with that because mm-hmm. we're emotional it's an emotional side of us And I think that's beautiful, honestly.
1: Yeah, I read that one of the presentations of ADHD is this uh, sense of justice, right? The the (laughs) so-called bleeding heart that you mentioned. It's like, yeah, you want people who are doing certain jobs to have a sense of fairness and justice that almost drives them like a motor, right? And with the conversation we had earlier, there's a sense that, you know, there are many places where people with ADHD can thrive. It's just that they may not understand or actually the world at large may not understand and you know that having that understanding of how adhd works can help to optimize where we work and you know and then everyone is happier our bosses are happier our families are happier okay let me like give that, you right? a
0: couple of examples right of ADHDs, right who are actually using the strengths the first one is local uh, i don't know if you're familiar with mm-hmm. who uh, jack sim is have you heard of him before
1: Jack Sim, uh, no, Okay,
0: Jackson is known as the Toilet King. Oh,
1: happy toilet man, yes. Okay,
0: so Jack yes. Sim founded the World Toilet Organization. Ah, uh, ah, uh, yes. Okay, he's literally put Singapore on the map, okay, using toilets, right? You know, mm. going for like higher sanitation standards. And even the, he's been quite influential in 193 countries. And the you know, UN even has a World Toilet Day. And Jack Sim actually is an ADHD. Wow, you know, I interviewed okay. him recently, right? And, and his interviews on our website. And, you know, so Jack's changing the world. You know, we have um, other entrepreneurs like Bill Gates, um, the founder of IKEA, Ingvar Kamprad, mm-hmm. Richard Branson, right? These are ADHDers too. And they changed the world where they are. The mm-hmm. one that changed the world recently was this scientist, Nobel award winner named um, Dr. Kerry Mullis. He's the one that came up with the COVID test, the PCR test.
1: All right, the gold standard of all COVID tests. <laughs> you yeah.
0: know, um, when I close to the home, you know, when I um did an event in October, when we had Dr. Ned Hallowell on our show, we actually had a young man, uh, a Singaporean guy named Chong Inkai, you know, one of my volunteers. He's a, a Philip E.O. associate. He's in Poly right now. This year, he turns 20. But he founded uh a company called Stick'em. They do 3D connectors um plus disposable chopsticks and a whole bunch of wires and you can use this kit to make steam kits, you know like robotics. He's making wow. robotics affordable. And he's he did it when he was like 19, 18 or 19 years old now is 20, right? And he's um been going with Singapore, Enterprise Singapore to other countries like India, Nepal, Vietnam, to share about this and work with some of the schools there. So, you know, you talk about, again, the social justice part, right? You know, the creativity, right? He is engaging with his strengths. And, you know, when I listened to the, to the interview, and it's on YouTube, by the way, so please go to our YouTube to look for it. It's called Thriving with ADHD. Um, Kai was sharing that uh, whenever he has this new invention, this new idea, he goes to his mom and says, Mom, look at what I've done, you know? And the mom always stops and looks at him and says, Kai, how will it change the world? How will it help the world? And I thought that was really deep. And I thought that's really mm. cool because you're actually giving that values, you know, to the entrepreneurial side as well.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: so I thought that was great. And, and, and well, his background he shared was that when he was 11 and he was diagnosed with ADHD, his parents actually started him volunteering with engineering good first because he liked to work with his hands. Yeah. So he was always very exposed to doing good with his hands, you know? And for different communities so there you go
1: yeah wow well, i remember jack sim because when i was in secondary school he had just started his happy toilet campaign and my secondary school had the first happy toilet <laughs> and 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 we we're just students like wondering, like, wondering what, what on earth is going on but i remember distinctly thinking yeah the toilet that they chose was extremely clean and pleasant to go to okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah i also used to enjoy i mean i, I do still enjoy reading you know a grace yo yep. uh, yeah yeah the journalist yep. uh, there was a certain kind of um i wouldn't say like all over the place but she really hits you know things from many many angles and of course you know that's what journalists are supposed to do, but it's really like kind of like engaging and also in a kind of um, casual way that almost sounds like a thought process that she kind of like brings you through, and that's like something I really really enjoy. Yeah,
0: Grace is amazing, and she's yeah. actually one yeah. of our volunteers too, and and helped yeah. out with our this is ADHD video campaign. So again, mm. always it's always fun. Frankly, when a whole bunch of ADHDs get together. We never stop talking. That's number one, but number two, there's just so many, so many stories and so much fun, and you almost finish each other's sentences. And I think there's a certain sense of relief because you don't have to like hide. You know, like you people get you.
2: Yeah. Oh. You
0: know, and I think that that's just amazing. Yeah, the energy, the buzzing. Mm-hmm. Okay, in the room. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Do you also have non-ADHD volunteers, like maybe family members, friends, yeah.
0: yeah, we do. We we do. So um, you know, for unlocking ADHD, we do have a uh, mix. Uh, predominantly I think about almost 80% of our team I'm talking about from the board to you know people who work there every day to volunteers almost 80% actually have ADHD or our family members of ADHD is, or people who suspect they have symptoms but we do have others who don't have ADHD who work with us and I think there needs to be a good mix some people <laughs> might say we're a bit overweight <laughs> you know in terms of ADHD which is a strength yep. which is why we grew so fast but, you know, this, also a challenge sometimes because we do have areas that we are, you know, that we find challenging. So definitely I would love to also welcome people that don't have ADHD, um, that would also like to support what we do so that, you know, we have a very balanced and diverse workforce. Because mm. we, we talk about inclusivity and diversity, right, in the workforce, where there's about yeah. 5% representation, right?
2: <laughs> but
0: we are a bit overweight here, right? So we actually think, hey, neurotypicals, help us a bit, bit more inclusive, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. You know?
1: Yeah, that, that that's great to know. Um, since you say you know you need a lot of volunteers, right? What are some projects that um unlocking ADHD uh, is currently uh, on? I know you mentioned you had the Restart ADHD Kit for adults, and uh, you currently have you know a few branches of outreach. But like, where uh, what's next for unlocking ADHD at the moment?
0: Um, a lot of things actually. Um, definitely, we'd like to do uh, more work with with the communities. We're trying to grow. Group coaching, coaching because we think it's scalable. Um, so, coaching in the different aspects, like right now, we launch a couple of group coaching sessions. Uh, one was to, uh, targeted at uh, ADHDers in the 20s or 30s who are feeling lost,
2: mm.
0: you know, not sure who they are, what their strengths are. And, you know, when they look at their friends, they find they're a little bit left behind and they're just trying to get a handle on life. So, we actually have a, a coaching group now that that is going through this journey. A couple of sessions together with a coach. Mm. Um, the other one that we just launched was one called Thriving as an ADHD Parent because those ADHDers who are parents are actually having a double whammy. We have to self-manage and also manage our kids whether they have ADHD or not. So it's a huge struggle with overwhelm and then trying to be consistent. So we actually have a group of parents going through this kind of coaching too. Mm. Um, so we hope to do more because there could be career coaching ADHD is in the workplace, right? How do you manage deadlines, you know, working with colleagues? Um, It could be in terms of relationships, which is what I'm trying to do more work in. In fact, uh, I'm trying to actually work with marriage counselors and therapists and link them up with Melissa Olof, who's collaborating with us. She's an expert, world-renowned actually, on the ADHD effect on marriages because um, data has shown that uh, in uh, relationships where there's one or two ADHDs involved, it's actually about a three to five percent higher divorce rate Mm. okay but um, in terms of you know our counselors and therapists they may not have that layer that sensitization about dealing with adhd symptoms Mm. so there's still going to be something that's left out there so we want to try and see how we can work with them to sort of close that little bit of a Mm. gap there and also work directly with couples Mm. so that's a an area very close to my heart because I I actually definitely have suffered from this still suffering from time to time and I'm sure my other half would agree with that and uh, we do have very regular um, calls for help you know saying help I'm married to an ADHD you know that kind of thing and uh, so it can be a very good marriage and relationship but there needs to be a lot of awareness Mm. and you know both sides working on things so we want to strengthen ADHD family so that's one way the relationship between the 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 two parties Mm. But the other way we want to work and do more work this year actually is in terms of uh, parent training. Because um, we have a lot of fantastic parenting programs in the schools right now, but they don't address ADHD as a factor. Right. So we have been collaborating with Dr. Dan Shapiro, who's an American Board Certified Developmental Behavioral Pediatrician. He works and he specializes with challenging children. So, you know, the, the way you approach that is quite different. And we want to make sure that it's a parent-child collaborative process.
1: Yeah, that sounds quite challenging because for people with ADHD, it affects every single facet of their life. And Absolutely, yeah, it, it feels yeah. like, like you said, you need to kind of reprime quite a few existing support structures to factor in the ADHD. Is it, am I right to say?
0: Yeah, yeah. And in fact, this coming week, right, I'm actually um hosting a webinar on executive functioning. Hmm. It's called Demystifying Executive Function, Helping Struggling Students to Shine. Hmm. Uh, and I've got Seth Perler, who's an ADHD and executive functioning coach, hmm. you know, who's going to be um sharing some of these experiences and the tips that you could use as a parent, educator or professional to support a child or a student. Because Think about it. When we have executive function issues, it's basically self management, right? Mm. It's to do with organizing, planning, emotional regulation, starting and finishing tasks, all that kind of stuff. It really impacts on academics. It also impacts your workplace productivity. Mm. And if you don't have it under control, you know there's a lot of opportunities where one can be shut out of just because one couldn't perform, right? Even though one was capable, right? Yeah. So we're trying to unlock some of these.
1: Will that webinar be on online or recorded? Oh.
0: Uh, the webinar will be recorded, but uh, because we're not trying to be a bit more self-sustaining, yep. um, this is our first paid webinar. Yep. Okay, we're not going to price it too expensive, about $12. So the recording probably will be partially available for free, but for the full recording, probably a small fee being charged. Mm-hmm. But we hope there's one way that people can support us too as an organization.
1: Mm. I mentioned some people who who are listening to this or who have come to know about unlocking adg and what you all do uh, might be interested in making like donations. So like how would they go about doing that? Like do you have a physical location? Is there like a pay now QR code or something like that?
0: Yes, thank you for asking. Yes. Okay, just go to our website, ww.unlockingadg.com. Uh, we have um, you know a button there about donations. Mm-hmm. So you can find us there. And also what we're doing in terms of, you know, with the, the monies collected. Right now, uh, we're primarily virtual. We're hoping to be able to get office space soon so that we can either be a hybrid or actually have a physical office. But we're really trying to save as much cost as possible. So right now, our biggest cost item actually are salaries. Mm. I myself am not paid, mm. but I do have a team of about four or five yeah. that are being paid so that they can spend more time really spending, you know, the brain juices, right? Yeah, do more for the ADHD community, and we need to be able to have people to do it consistently. So the advocacy part, the the development of programs, uh, the advocacy, you know, all this content creation, we do need people beyond volunteers who are we love as well, but we also need full timers to be able to work on all these things.
1: Mm. And. Your, yourself as a full-timer, um, you know, seeing this organization grow, like how does that make you feel and uh, how does that change the, your outlook on life?
0: Well, the first thing is I've never been so tired in my life before. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah, uh, startup
1: founder issues. Uh, it's,
0: it's also a very uh, humbling experience because frankly, I've never been so out of my depth as well. So I think it's it's a very good reminder of of how much we need to rely on others around us. You know, it's it's not just about me, right? The individual. I may be able to bring people together, but it still needs a team effort. Mm. So that's very humbling Mm. to know one's limitations. But it's also exciting because we've just had been very fortunate to have a lot of support from different arenas. And that's just really warms the heart. One of the things I didn't expect, you know, when I first started this was the depth of the friendships that we formed as a team. Mm. Because everyone was a stranger when we first started. The volunteers, right? Who then came in to be volunteer leaders or who worked together with us. So I think that um, beyond so-called trying to serve people, we actually found that we got a lot out of it too, in terms of the friendships and the support networks that helped us when we needed it as well.
1: So I understand that uh, unlocking ADHD, the community is primarily most active on Facebook at the moment. So, like, what do you usually post about, and what do people normally say?
0: Uh, We have about over two thousand three hundred on our Facebook. It's a private Facebook group, Um, so you have to answer membership questions to get in Mm. because we want to keep it a safe place Mm. for people. So we don't allow like solicitation, spam, you know, and all that kind of stuff. We have a Discord server as well and that's maybe just under 600 people and we're hoping to grow that more both avenues have different aspects to it and you know everyone's welcome to be members of both Um, for the facebook because it's more people of course there's a little bit more interaction and it could be parents asking questions about how to support the child it could be an adult saying i'm having a bad day you know Um, how do you manage to like you know get projects out on time you know and people will share the experience Mm -hmm. Um, and I think it's really valuable because I learned so much from, from the sharing of everyone. And I think particularly, you know, for those who are neurotypical parents, let's yeah. say, who have an ADHD child or teen, um, hearing adult ADHD share about their journey when they were young, right, or seeing who they are now gives hope, right? And it gives insight as well as to what the child is going through. And we're really trying to approach everything from a very much a lived experience peer peer basis so there's no judgment. You know, judgment is where people clam up, right? Or you don't feel mm, safe.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, Discord, what I like about it, but we're still trying to get our minds around, you know, the complicated navigation <laughs> sometimes, is that Discord allows different channels. And the different channels will be fantastic because you can have different topics of conversation. Mm. Uh, Facebook doesn't really allow that, but it has the wonderful crowdsourcing of information. Mm. So we're really trying to encourage people to be members of both. Mm because you get different things from each platform.
1: Yeah, I imagine that for Discord, it will be much more popular with the kids. So maybe like when uh, p- people are older and then they realize that, oh, actually, you know, I might have ADHD, uh, that might take off. Uh, and yeah, Facebook is yeah, kind of a reliable tool for community building because it's quite established, and things like that.
0: Yeah, I'm just very touched because you know, sometimes when there's someone that's going through a rough time and they share, that people jump in to help. So that's when you know a community is healthy. Mm-hmm. It's when you see that care. Right.
1: Do you do many like physical events, or did, have you ever thought of organizing a big event for a lot of you know these members to come and just meet and celebrate or something?
0: Well, we had we had our first big physical event uh, last September. Mm. We had a potluck. We had about fifty plus people show up. So that was a lot mm. of fun, but chaotic as usual. Um, you know, I mean we just came out of COVID, so you know, we're trying to get our team together. I think the biggest thing about physical events is that we need more hands and feet. Mm. So, you know, if people are willing to come and help us do something, that'll be wonderful. Mm. And we are trying to organize a run, a fundraising run, uh, you know, later this year. So that should be also like a big community event. So so we hope as you move forward, we'll probably do some hybrid events. So sort of like our webinars, except that we'll have a physical location. So some people can come in person and then some people will be able to watch online because not everyone can make yeah. it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. As much as possible, I'll try to put all the links that you mentioned uh, in the show notes. Um, and then.
0: Wonderful. Thank you.
1: So for whoever's listening, just, uh, you know, remember to type your podcast app. Uh, there's a list of show notes that not everybody reads and it might be challenging, but it will be quite helpful to maybe like take a look and maybe click through and see what else uh, Unlocking ADHD uh, has to offer for you in 2023, 2024, whenever you're listening to this Yeah. Uh, So, okay, I think this is a good time to end the episode. Um, Mulek, do you have anything to say to people who maybe are struggling with ADHD but they don't have the resources to get help right now?
0: Well, the first thing I'll say is reach out, Mm -hmm. you know, don't hold yourself back because just by reaching out, you're taking a step forward. And we do have resources, whether it's just um, to understand your condition better or even to connect you with community groups, community counselling that are more affordable. So don't let the different um, assumptions, worries, fears hold you back from getting the help we need. Again, don't worry alone, reach out, okay? There's always someone here that can hold your hand.
1: Thanks so much, Moonlake, for coming on to this episode.
0: You're welcome, it was was fun.
1: And that was the conversation with Moonlake Lee founder and executive director of Unlocking ADHD. I hope that was helpful for listeners in Singapore who would like to contribute more to help the ADHD community. ADHD is a complex condition and affects way more people than we expect. So no matter who you are, it's helpful to learn about how it affects people and how you can manage misunderstandings between neurotypical people and neurodivergent people, at least the ones you know anyway. As always, do check out the show notes if you're interested, you can also check out the YouTube channel How to ADHD by Jessica McKay. It's quite a decent place to start. It explains a lot of concepts that ADHD people face and how they can manage them in their everyday lives aside from taking medication. Remember to follow us on our social media Twitter at bthpodcastsg Instagram at bthpodsg and TikTok at BTH Podcast. I've been doing quite a bit of TikTok original content recently, so don't miss out on that. And you guys already know, look for the dark blue logo. Find But Then How on Spotify, and please rate us 5 stars after you've listened to a couple of episodes. I'll see you guys on the next one. Bye!